0: Chefish is a space that I created for us by us. Most of my guests will be black and brown professionals within the food world. Whether they cook, whether they're working in front of the house, or they're on the promotion side, a butcher, a farmer, a doula, we're going to be bringing them all to you. Okay. So for everybody tuned in, I like to call my audience chefies. So welcome, chefies. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Chef Claudia (laughs) Diora. And Chef Claudia has been in the industry for 10 years. She's actually a private chef and a caterer owning her own company, The Green Lab Kitchen. Chef Claudia was actually born in sri lanka so we got some international game going on over here and we will definitely dive deeper into that (laughs) ultimately chef claudia was actually adopted and ultimately raised in zurich switzerland so again (laughs) we got some international game going on i know not too many of y'all have been to zurich switzerland but if you have then you'll know about some things that she's going to tell us about And so she had always had big dreams and aspirations for the big stage. So what did she do? She <laughs> got into the circus, okay? So she started out as a contortionist, a a a very very well-known contortionist. And then from there, she was a TV personality, a radio host, and a singer. Okay? And then somehow when she got into food, she started out in the front of the house. And for those of you that are tuned in, you don't know the lingo. Front of the house means she worked as either a hostess, a manager in the front. Okay. and then when we say back of the house, we're talking about the cooks, the chefs, the sous chefs. Etc. And when we ever refer to anything as the line, that means a position that you're cooking at. Like, are you on the stove? Are you garmage making salads? Are you pastries making the desserts? So you'll hear some lingo. And when you hear that, that's what I'm talking about. And sometimes I'll go over it, but there it is for now. So again, she started out in front of the house after being like this superstar in Zurich. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, how she found herself into the kitchen, I don't know. She's definitely going to tell us. But ultimately, she decided that her real passion was cooking in the kitchen. And so what she ended up doing was cooking her way through Zurich, Switzerland, Italy, and France. And somehow, she ended up in the United States. I don't know what brought her here, but uh, we'll get into that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, she's been in the game for over 10 years and um, 20, 20. Correct me. Correct me (laughs) if I'm wrong. Okay. 10, 20. That's a big difference because I've been in the game 20 years. And if you say 10 to me, 10 is not 20. 20 (laughs) is longer. So, okay. Two decades in the game. Two decades in the game right here. And she done lived like three, four lives. Are y'all keeping up with this? So, I don't know if you're excited to hear what's been going on with her, but I am extremely excited. And so, welcome to Chefist, Chef Claudia D. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited <laughs> that you're here. I know that I gave a brief introduction on who you were. Yeah. But be- before I allow you to tell me who you are and how you got here, I just wanted to give y'all a little update on how we know each other. And <laughs> it's because of social media. Okay. We've actually been following each other on the gram for a few years now. And we have a mutual friend in common. She looks at it as one of her best guy friends. And he's one of my good guy friends. And his name is Chef Terrence Williams, an exceptional chef. Um, I think he's in North Carolina now, but in the days that we met each other, he was in Miami, Florida. So that's how that's how we know each other, if y'all were wondering. She ain't no stranger over here.
1: <laughs> no. So <laughs> tell us more about yourself and how you got here. Well, um, my name is Chef Claudia D. <laughs> I'm from Zurich, Switzerland. And I got into chefing from really f- from the ground up, from front of the house to the back of the kitchen, working the line, working any shift that nobody wanted until I'm where I'm at today. So.
0: So what kind of food did you actually start out cooking when
1: you got in the kitchen? When I started cooking, I was cooking (laughs) country club food. So everything sky high, old school, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't like tiny little potatoes. It was like mashed potato, gravy, sauce, steak, you know, the plates were high and a lot of food on it. Country club. So you were working with old money old money old mm-hmm. money old money food <laughs> the rich oh, whites right yeah yeah pretty much yeah so what is it
0: like in zurich switzerland is there okay wait i don't want to sound ignorant i <laughs> uh, might be a little what okay so you were from sri lanka right correct and so what like what is your nationality your background cuz you're
1: melanated but does that mean you're black or what is it well, I actually thought I was black and um, I did this ancestry test and I came back all Asian. So mm. Sri Lanka is actually part of Asia, but not a lot of people know it's like a tiny island on the India. So we Asian, but I'm hoping it has some black in me. <laughs> I think so. I would say so. so. So East, East, East Asian, right? Yeah. East Asian, South Indian. South Indian. So, you okay. Know, Okay. And then, so what, and when you were in Zurich,
0: Switzerland, what is the population like there? Well,
1: when I grew up, there was mainly only white people. So when I saw a black person as a little kid, I was like, "Ah, ah, look, (laughs) you know, so I didn't really see black people growing up. That really only happened when I got to the States. So I got to New York, um, I was just sitting on the bench looking at black people, because I know that sounds super awkward, but I never seen it. I was totally fascinated. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I didn't know people have fake hair weaves until I was maybe 30 years old, because who would tell me? I didn't not know that culture. I wasn't familiar with it, because I grew up in all white cultures, if you want to talk about that, and it's just something different that I wasn't familiar with. So when you were adopted, how old were you? Um, I was adopted be probably about two weeks old. Ooh. Yeah. Out the womb, out the gate. Yeah. Out the,
0: out the fresh out the gate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So was it a closed adoption? Do you know who your real parents are? Have you ever wanted to know? Um, it was a closed adoption.
1: Okay. Back in the 80s. <laughs> well, I'm old. Um, they wouldn't say much about the kids and their parents. So it was just like... They came and adopted a kid, you know, a boy or a girl. My parents really wanted a girl. That's why they picked me. And yeah, I don't know anything really about my birth parents. I did go back to Sri Lanka once, but I couldn't find anything. I mean, back then they were just writing it on on a paper. I don't even have a birth certificate, you know, so it's
0: basically impossible to know. Wow. So your adoptive parents, or are they white? Yeah, my parents are white. And what was that like growing up in a
1: white household when you were clearly other? Well, honestly, I never felt that I was different. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't treated that way. My parents always were really uh, mindful of that. They never hid anything from me. So they would always tell me that I was adopted and they adopted me and they would tell me my story why they adopted me and so on. So I never felt like like an outsider so i never had that problem with like oh you're black or you're white i never had that like we have in those times the racism feeling or or colors or color or whatever we never had that i never had that until probably was like 16 17 i was trying for a job they would be like oh i thought they were white i'm like why? I was like, oh, you sound like it. I was like, what has that to do with it? But I wouldn't really notice it while growing up.
0: Okay. And so did your adoptive parents cook a lot? No, my
1: mom does not cook. (laughs) Literally, she does not cook. At all?
0: At all. And your
1: dad. I mean, the basics, pasta, rice, you know, we eat a lot of potatoes in Switzerland. So potatoes, (laughs) cheese, rice, bread, you know, sausages, that's what we ate. Okay.
0: Okay. So, and then you cooked your way through France and Italy. And so what
1: was that like? Well, once I decided to become a chef, I wanted to go to culinary school, but it was so expensive, so I couldn't afford it. I was like, what other option are there? I don't have like $65,000, $80,000. I need to get in this industry. I need to learn. So I decided that I'm going to look up the best restaurants and I found some chefs and I asked them if I could work there as a stash or... I don't care. I start in the dishes and go on the line and prepping. I didn't care. And this one chef actually took me under his wing and that's how I came into it. And he really taught me the rope. And sometimes I'd be like, oh my God, what does he mean? I would go on my phone and be like Googling it. Oh, okay. You to be quick and go back and do it. but. I didn't have the culinary school background.
0: So what is a stage for the people for the people out there that don't know? Because <laughs> I
1: I know what a stage
0: is, but explain it for people that might not know what that okay. means.
1: So a stage means you go, for example, to a restaurant, you work two weeks. Sometimes you get paid. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just get food. But they teach you everything that you need to know. So it's kind of like an internship. It's kind of an internship. Just a yeah. fancier name, right? Just, yeah, stop. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Just laughs> <just laughs> try to make it sound like
0: you ain't working for me. you're just working for free. Yeah, you're working for experience free. Experience and the exposure. So when you started in the kitchen, were you still at that time a, a, a contortionist?
1: Um, when I started in the kitchen, that's my second career. So I did all these crazy things while growing up. So when I was 14, I had my own TV show, which was only a small channel. It's called Video Gang. Um, We just had random interviews with people on the streets asking really crazy stuff like, what's your favorite color (laughs) (laughs) and why? So that was the show that first and it just went from there. And you know, I got a different show, bigger and better network, and then the biggest network, and so on. And that's how I got into TV. <laughs> and I was still doing gymnastic and circus. And the why I went to circus was because it was the only place where I could find people of my skin tone, mm-hmm. right? I could never find anybody that had that my, looked like you. Yeah, that, that was the Moroccan people, and they were really close. They were still a little lighter, olive. Olive, yeah. Mm. But there were also some Somalian people and Ethiopian people. And I was like, wow. And I think that's what made me want to go there. And right. that's how I went to the circus. And I asked the guy, how do I get here? And he's like, well, you have to be really good. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, you have to learn this. And he showed me a contortionist girl. I was like, oh, okay, cool. How did I do that? I mean, back then we didn't have YouTube and all these other things. So I just thought, okay, it's gymnastics. So I told my mom I wanted to do gymnastics and she put me in gymnastics and I just practiced, practiced, practiced. And that's how I got into contortion.
0: <laughs> Which is very random. I don't think I've ever met. I don't think I've ever met a contortionist and I lived in Vegas for a while, baby, when they got surfed to Soleil out the strip. Uh, and I never, never came in contact with a contortionist. So when I had read that, when I was reading up on you, you know, doing my due diligence and figuring out your history you know what i'm saying figuring out the game i was like a contortionist so for people that don't understand what a contortionist is you want to kind of just briefly explain what that is
1: well a contortionist is just somebody that is very flexible you know all all ways that nobody wants to bend and you know touch the bottom with your head and stuff like that i bet the guys like that yeah the guys like that
0: (laughs) I bet they like that. <laughs> so you know how to put your feet behind your head, and you can basically fit your body into like weird spaces and weird shapes, right?
1: Yeah, you probably could, but I never did that. It's just it was more aesthetic the kind of contortion that I did.
0: So like the Cirque de Soleil type of.
1: Yes, I was with Cirque for three years. So okay. yeah,
0: yeah. Because when I was reading when I was reading about you, it just said Cirque, and I was like is that Cirque du Soleil and maybe they just made it short because it's in Zurich so I was like maybe it's the same thing but we're being educated over here folks so (laughs) so then ultimately you started working in kitchens
1: correct so I had a really bad accident on a trampoline after you know having a party night and not paying attention so I could still go back to Cirque, but it wasn't the same for me I wasn't be viewed the same and I was like I don't want that I want don't play second fiddle to anybody right I want to be the best and the first and whatever you name it so I just decided I want to do something else <laughs> so you were hung over and you got injured is that what you're saying
0: yes see that's why y'all gotta be careful with that <laughs> alcohol you know what I'm saying It can get you in trouble every time so So when you did, so for the chef that actually took you on and took you under his wing, what kind of food were they cooking? Um,
1: He was actually a Michelin star chef. Um, His name was Chul Rebouchon. Oh, Um, that
0: sounds like money. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well he was one of you know the biggest chefs there was um unfortunately he passed away oh i'm sorry i'm over here making big jokes <laughs> um yeah i was really lucky that he believed in me and let me you know be me i mean it wasn't easy right <laughs> i got yelled out a lot right <laughs> a lot
0: and how long how long were you able to work under him
1: um i was dodging for like six months okay and then i left and i came back for a little bit and then i basically already went on my own i picked up really fast it was a really fast pace in the french kitchen and imagine it's not like the american kitchen that are huge and has everything and fully automatic the french kitchen is very small old school old school yeah like it's his way or the highway there's not let me try to pair those two things no it's straight to the point. This is how we go and this is the technique and this is how we do it. There's no yes and maybes. Right. Because Mm -hmm. I was
0: actually going to ask you, what do you feel is the biggest difference between working in the U.S. kitchens Mm -hmm. and international kitchen since he was getting the international bag you know what i'm saying (laughs) uh because i personally haven't been to italy yet that's like one of my dream places to travel to just to be able to eat and cook you know i want to learn from the official italians how to make pasta you know what i'm saying and they ain't over there trying to kill their people with all of the (laughs) all of those extra uh additives and gmos so it's it's i i think that It's what, what are the differences? Cause I'm assuming.
1: Yeah. Well, the main difference is it's, I feel like it's very technique driven. So it's like specific techniques for specific things. Right. So if it's a potato, we leave it a potato. We don't make crazy things out of it. Of course, there's restaurants that do it, but most of the time a potato will stay a potato. It will stay in his lane. Right. So compare, um, to america where we are more open and have more how would you say not creativity but just more options you know i mean yeah i would say that's we like to me. break the rules over here yeah i mean we're breaking the rules that- over there too but i feel like they want to stay in their lane with their food like keep it as is as much as you can like stay in the flavor profile stay with whatever a shrimp is a shrimp this is how you prepare the shrimp oh you you don't want
0: to you don't want to stuff the shrimp with a chicken no and then put it in a turkey leg
1: no 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 we don't do that That doesn't sound appealing to you no oh no i don't think so are you guys wearing black gloves over there (laughs) (laughs) no No, i'm joking
0: joking. now i'm joking
1: we don't wear no gloves we wash hands and we also... Oh, so you guys yeah. don't wear gloves? No, we don't wear gloves. I mean, I some, some restaurants do, I but it. I just feel like you have to feel the food feel when you're plating. I mean, the kitchen is very strict, okay? Yeah. People wear the chef coats. We have the hair up. We have the head on. We have the little, you know... Necktie, a necktie thingy. thingy. Yeah. We have an apron. We're we all in there. It's not like here and going, you're supposed to be clean. Yes. and You we wash it in white you leave white. Yeah, and you have to have your chef coat iron every time. Your pants look perfect, your checker pants look nice, your shoes are clean. You don't come in the kitchen dirty. Yeah, it's not and, acceptable. Yeah, and when you leave the kitchen, you take off your clothes and change into street clothes. You don't walk in the chef coat outside. Right. You know. So, and you wash your hands and, you know, you stay in your station and you do what you do. That's so funny when you're
0: <laughs> t- when you're talking about um Uh, not wearing gloves because um, Sean Combs Puffy was one of my first clients. And when I started cooking for him, I remember him walking in the kitchen one day and I didn't have gloves on. And I I think I was touching chicken or something. And then I'm washing my hands and then I'm cooking. I'm doing something else. And he's like, shit, why you ain't got no gloves on? (laughs) And I was like, "Um, well, you see, I washed my hands. And he said, yeah, I saw you wash your hands. That's why I didn't say anything right away. But I want to know why you ain't got no gloves on. And I said, because I need to feel the food. I said, it's kind of like, because I know he's in music, I was like, it's kind of like going into a garage and trying to mix a tape versus going into the studio. I was like, I want to feel it. And I was like, it's different. If you put something on it, it's going to come out different. And then I was like, or it's kind of like wearing a condom and not wearing a condom. He was like, I got it. (laughs) I got the. He was like he I got it. He you got to wear no gloves. Just make sure you always washing your hands. <laughs> That's a funny little story. I don't know why it came. I don't really <laughs> get my mind, but I was like, "Hey, if not wearing gloves, I hate sometimes I really don't like wearing gloves. I really do like to be. I like to feel as I'm cooking. I do feel like it is kind of like wearing a condom. It does feel different, even though you should wear condoms." You should have safe sex. Um, just like you should wear gloves in a kitchen. In America, the food is dirty. No, I'm just playing. Let me refocus, guys. Um <laughs> Okay.
1: And don't so, wash your chicken. <laughs> you, you,
0: girl, you are gonna start a war, okay? <laughs> what do you mean you don't wash the chicken? You don't put no vinegar and no lime, no lemon on it. You're not supposed to. You're not if you're if you're if your chicken is smelling like eggs and funky, you should not be. Eating it. You should not be consuming it. And a lot of people don't understand. It's a cultural thing because a lot of people definitely they don't really know that, or it's not really understood that they didn't necessarily have the refrigeration techniques or um the preservatives that we put in the food over here, which definitely isn't healthy for us. But that's why it's different for us versus other um cultures. So Mm -hmm. because a lot of people will argue you down that it needs to be go under the vinegar, needs to go under the lemon. I remember when I studying culinary and i kept washing my chicken i was getting in trouble i was getting like points taken off later they're like no you're not supposed to do that And i'm like oh, just, uh, but did you know
1: that the so american great. chicken is bleached because of that
0: I mean, first of all,
1: <laughs> just saying, are we allowed I mean, to get into the politics? of We <laughs> no, will get into good. the politics of food here at
0: Chefish and we will terrify you. OK, <laughs> OK, so you started cooking under we'll, we'll call him your mentor because I don't know yeah. how to say that French name. Rest in peace. <laughs> You're the goat. You was Michelin star. Mm-hmm. And so what about for people out there that don't understand Michelin star?
1: Well, Michelin star is really like an award that shows that. You made it right. One Michelin star is great. Two Michelin stars is really what you need to be like recognized. Now it's probably three because mm-hmm. lately it's been giving out like candies in the candy store. Right? It's not the same. I feel personally sorry to say that, but I think Michelin star is just like a different level. Like we talked about. The clean kitchen, the consistency, just the whole environment. It's not just the food, it's everything. The restaurant, the plates, the glasses. You it know. runs like a machine. Yes. What machine would start? I don't think a machine, but it's just. Everything is perfect. You don't think so.
0: But in America, (laughs) the comparison is y'all run like a machine. (laughs) That's the difference. When you're Michelin star, to me, that's how I perceive it. It's like everything, when you're articulating it as like everything has its place, everything is supposed to be properly done. I feel like in America, maybe we're a little bit more lax, even in the kitchens where they consider themselves to be of higher standard. Mm -hmm. It's still a little bit more lax from what I'm hearing in comparison into the kitchens you I would grew up in basically because you did grow up in those kitchens and so when you went was Italy or France next um Italy Italy Mm -hmm. and what brought you to Italy
1: well just I traveled a lot even with the circ and then personally I traveled to Italy so I was stuck in Italy I was stuck in um, Milan well a little bit outside it's called Varese it's like 20 minutes whatever it sounds like money <laughs> no it's a small <laughs> tiny town and um, then we moved to um, Brindisi which is like all the way on the bottom of the hill of Italy if you know Italy is like a shoe like, like a boot and it's all the way on the hill there was nothing to do so I was like what am i gonna do there i was like well duh you need to learn how to make pasta so mm. i went and learned how to make pasta like i was literally just making pasta from scratch and dough pizza doughs cannolis you know all those italian things which was great because i thought yeah everybody can make pasta yeah everybody can make <laughs> you know quick pasta but if you really go into that culture of pasta it's so organized it's so precise that it's different. It tastes different. It you does. know, it's not just like, okay, I'm gonna roll out the pasta, here we go, you know, spaghetti. Whoop. No. Well, I don't that- use
0: AP A P flour for my pasta. <laughs> I get the one in one imported from Italy, just so you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's different, you know, make all the ravioli, the gallinis, everything really tiny.
0: Well, <laughs> because I kind of feel like in Italy they're more relaxed.
1: Versus America, we're like, rush, rush, rush right now, right now, right now, right? Well, the Italian are very passionate people. So everything they do comes from their heart, right? Mm -hmm. Food, singing, sports, everything goes with their feelings. So they're very sensitive to anything that you do. So, you know the food has to be handled with love it's cooked with love it's la nonna you know la nonna, la nonna the grandma that is cooking you know that's that's what everybody wants. the family feeling the comfort if you had the her. fish they probably went and got it that day or something yes in the, the fish always comes fresh like from the market from the sea <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. yeah
0: so then from there you went to france
1: from them I went back to France and then um well this all happened it was between France and the states and back to Europe and back to the states the home base was really always uh, Miami at that time okay and then went to Europe and came back
0: so your um parents is is it a parent or is it your mom adopted mom like what my parents okay so your parents D- did they have a little bit of money? Because y'all lived in a whole bunch of different places. Like, what's the story? Were you like in the military or what? <laughs> How did that go? I'm like, hold on. You ought to have a place in Miami. on to- ain't none of these places cheap that you're talking about.
1: Well, I grew up in Switzerland. So my parents, um, let's say they just, you know, they're comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> they're comfortable. So um, they stayed there. But I left the house when I was 17.
0: OK, so when you got to Miami or when you like, I, I guess, pretty much started to stay in stateside, right?
1: Yeah, stay in place.
0: What was like your what was like the turning point in your career to say like, OK, I'm going to s- stick right here. This is what I'm going to do. And then what were you doing when you were <laughs> when you originally kind of. Settle down a bit.
1: <laughs> Want to slow down being in Miami. That's when I got my um, first private chef gig in America, <laughs> which was fun. Um, yeah. So we stayed in Miami for about 10 years before we um, moved to Atlanta.
0: Okay. And so your first um, private chef client, was this a celebrity? <laughs> yeah. I got you don't to, have to say yeah, who yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. If you don't want to, you, no, 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 that's you
1: good. can, but... Yeah, actually, my first private chef gig was a celebrity. Um, He was a baseball player. Okay. He played um, for the Marlins. Um, Yeah, he just picked me up. Um, I mean, like most of the chefs, I started in meal prepping, right? Okay. And then after a year was like, oh, that's not it. And I was meal prepping for so many athletes at that time. Um... And then one picked me up and that's how I really got into full-time private chefing.
0: And baseball players
1: pay good money. They pay good money. Yeah. (laughs) We're talking (laughs)
0: about athletes and private chef pay. Baseball players pay good money because they're actually really on a strict, more of a strict regimen and they're usually um, more in tune with their diet. I feel like basketball players and football players are kind of more lax unless they're injured or trying to gain weight or lose weight. But they're not as like like baseball players to me are a little bit more serious about their diet.
1: They also have a lot of practice and a lot, a lot of games. So they need to be in top shape and perform At the thousand percent, basically every day, you know, they can't slack. They slack next, you know, I mean, every sport is like that, but in baseball, I feel like they really have to watch every step they're doing for the whole career, just because there are so many people wanting to play that sport as well. And they have so many games and they can get injured so fast. Right.
0: And so... You you're saying that you kind of started out more meal prepping and for multiple athletes, we'll Correct. say. Um, so did you ever work under a private chef or someone that actually taught you the ropes of the private chef side or um, kind of showed you the ropes on how to negotiate your contracts or how much you should charge? Did anybody tell
1: you or show <clears throat> you? um Nobody showed me, but I came from the backside because I used to have a private chef. <laughs> and um oh, okay. In <laughs> so, one of her many lives, she used to have a chef. Okay, say I did. say so, that. Say that. So I, well, how should I say that? I knew how much I wanted to pay, and I knew what I wanted when I had a chef. So I kind of knew what to expect and how to handle people because i knew how i didn't want to get handled with the chef or whatever the chef did so i just was taking that to the backside, okay. coming from the front side okay mm-hmm.
0: and i know we might not be able to say exactly how much you're making right now but can you kind of tell me the that The range that you're at right now and the level of career you are and then kind of like versus where you started out. Because I think that before we go there, I think that there's a big misconception, a misconception in the meal prep space where people assume that it's supposed to be cheap. Mm -hmm. And for me... (laughs) For me, I charge a regular day rate for my um, meal prep services because you should, should. because you're still cooking the same amount of time and you're actually putting in way more work. You're not doing three meals a day. You're doing either six, 12, sometimes 16, depending on that person's diet. Right.
1: That's correct.
0: Yeah. So I kind of asked you a few different questions, but like, where did you start out? It, salary wise, like a ballpark range in comparison to where you're at now. <laughs> ballpark range. If you, if you can share, you can make up a number somewhere around
1: there. <laughs> it's a lot. More than you think. <laughs> no. well, well, when I started meal prepping, you know, like everybody, I didn't know the ropes. I didn't know the background. I. Like most people, I did it at home. I didn't know that you need a license. I didn't know that you need a commercial kitchen. I didn't know you need this, that, that, this, that, insurance, blah, 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 I didn't know. So obviously I started out way too low priced. And once I had my space and all my license and all my insurances, no, well, put a number the price because we're trying to educate the- people. Okay, so I started with 1499 a meal. Because I didn't know any better, which Sheesh. yeah, but most people do that actually. They go for $7.99 and $10 a meal, which is impossible. It's a no for me, dog. It's a big no no. <laughs> but I was like a long time ago. But either way, now, even if I'm meal prepping, I'm charging easy between $50 and $70 a plate. Mm -hmm. If I'm meal prepping, because I have to go to the store, I still have to do it in a commercial kitchen, I still need insurance, and I still need to make sure that you get the best ingredients and the best quality of food after you warm it up. So I'm not just going to give you whatever, you know what I mean? So that's why meal prepping for me just doesn't make sense anymore, personally. I mean... Unless the client's
0: gonna pay the Unless, regular a yes. regular day rate
1: exactly. So, like, like for me, I'm
0: making six hundred and fifty to twelve hundred dollars exactly. Twelve hundred dollars per delivery, mm-hmm. and the lowest I'll do it for is four hundred and fifty per day. I like to do day rates. I don't like to do hourly. Yes. Sometimes you can mess yourself up though when you do a day rate because it can go way over an hour hourly type of set mm-hmm. but i feel like sometimes there's a lot of money missing on the table when you do a, an hour uh, like an hourly
1: i don't think hourly is fair because yeah. like you penalize yourself right so if you're an experienced chef like you were myself we can knock that out in two hours what somebody maybe needs six or eight hours so where is the fairness right Right. I mean, we put all this work in, all this effort, you paying for my experience, for my knowledge, not just for the food, you paying for the whole package. So that's why I feel like six hundred dollars is very fair as a day rate as meal prep for me. Clearly. Yes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that sometimes when people are pricing themselves as chefs in any capacity, whether it be meal prep or even even private chefs, caterers, um, a lot of times people don't think to charge for all of the time of the work that you're doing when the client doesn't see you. There's this misconception that you're really only charging for the end result. And so I'm like, bruh, so you are a slave. You are working eight to 16 hours that are now unaccounted for.
1: Exactly. I mean, the client always sees for this time that we are there, but there's the menu planning, there's the prepping day before, there's the day off, and there might be the day after, depending if you had to rent things that you didn't have, right. you know, for a wedding, for a big catering. It's not that everybody has everything on hands. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people don't count that in it. So at the end of the day, it's not as much as they actually think, because they just think, oh, chef was here three hours and they left and they want $3,000. What? Right. No, you paying for all this preparation the before... The day off and the day after.
0: And so how do you handle that when you're creating your contract negotiations? Do you handle those personally or do you have somebody else handle it for you?
1: Well, I handle a lot of it myself. But the big money contract, I do have an agent and I always have a lawyer because you need a lawyer because... I mean, you're a tiny chef working for a multi-billionaire or millionaire. I mean, you stand another chance, right? They're not going to tell you. They're not going to, yeah. They're not going to tell you. No.
0: They're so. not going to tell you how much you should be making. They're not going to tell you how much you could be making. And they're not going to look out for your best interest at least that's what that's what i've learned
1: yeah most of the time it's like that you work and they don't care what happened you're sick your kid is sick you can't come they don't care they just go next right you be next so for me personally it's always like i say like this i'm with this client as long as my time is with this client i'm not gonna cry if i get fired or it's not working out because i know there's something else you can't be hang up Right. You know, and also, I think a lot of young chef makes the mistake that they think they're part of the family, they're part of the entourage. But don't get it twisted. You're not. You're not. You're not part. You're the help. No matter how you feel, you are the help. So don't mix those two things. And I think it's a lot of times It's also what creates the barrier between the client and the chef for chefs that are strict with their boundaries and chefs that are not, they get confused. And then it gets hard to negotiate because how are you going to charge a friend this much They're not going to like it So right. It's going to be harder You have to have Clear boundaries In whatever you do
0: Well that And also Because I learned The hard way Once your clients See you Outside of a professional light So say you want to go out And you want to party mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever a party Looks like to you Now that your client Has seen you In that environment And through that lens Yes It changes things Everything It changes things Everything. They don't you can't. see you the same There might be A level of respect That is now diminished And then on On the other side where they want to treat you like you're a friend then Mm -hmm. it's like oh come on oh you are you're not gonna look out for me or yeah
1: whatever it is you can't get it personal so that's a main mistake you if you get personal with that you think you're part of it you know i mean if you're young it's very hard to get separate it's like hey chef here's a chanel bag you want it (laughs) yes that's your instinct but you're like oh that's so nice of you but no i'm okay thank you and you're in the back of your head you're like fuck well, so are I'm gonna
0: good. take the bag and still keep my distance.
1: <laughs> you are okay. Well, yeah. I mean, good for you. I've only <laughs> got one bag in my whole entire twenty plus years of
0: career. But oh uh,
1: yeah. yeah, no. Just that's just an example, you know. Yeah. Or like, yeah, just go buy whatever you want. No, I'm not. You know, I'm yeah. not. I'm not. That's not our relationship. I'm still working for you. So I think clear boundaries is a really must for a lot of chefs, and a lot of chefs have to learn that. You're not part of the family, you know, part of the entourage, you are the help.
0: Well, but I also think that there's a big difference in how men and women are treated. Correct. I think that a lot of times the male chefs are treated as friends. They get to go, they go, they go party with the client. They do all, to, they go <laughs> on trips with the client beyond just cooking. They they do get brought on as as a friend Mm -hmm. and so now that we're talking about the differences between men and women and how we're treated in the industry how what do you think the differences are when you're working with men do you think that there's a difference between how you operate and how you get along in the kitchen
1: i think in a regular kitchen setting there is a difference I mean, I in, always, a restaurant. in a restaurant, I always get turned down to say that, but I can just talk from my experience and in my profession, not in everybody's profession, I feel it is still most of the time harder most of the time, not all the time, to be a female in the in the kitchen. And why? Especially if you're pretty or you're friendly or you just, I feel you're not getting taken serious and people argue and say, well, you just need to do your job and you just need to do it right. And if you're good enough, they will expand respect you yes you're right there is a lot of people that do respect you but there is also a lot of people that are still old school and don't feel like a woman belongs there no matter how good you are i even hear this from really high Michelin star female chefs that have two three stars whatever they say the same thing we can do this thing yeah some men would still say that yeah you know but You can argue that. And it's always a big discussion because they say, oh, you just have to step up and do this. And if you do your job right, you won't have that. Well, that's not how it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately. No, when I used to work the line in my restaurant days 20 plus years ago, I definitely felt that I was treated differently. Um, I do think that something called... Pretty privilege is a real thing. A lot of people throughout my career have said, oh, you're only there because you're cute. And yeah, oh, you don't really know how to cook. And it's like, honestly, <laughs> honestly, um, like she said, I'm the help. They don't really see me. It's not really about what I look like. It is really about I do know how to cook. And also, I'm going to outwork anybody else. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, let's be honest. If you stand in a kitchen and there is whatever minority woman a different skin tone there is a big white man with a big belly and there's a skinny white person and it's not really about color right but let's just say that and somebody comes into the kitchen do you think the first thing that person sees is like oh yeah oh of course it's the black female chef over there no i mean no most of the, the time white man. they go to the big Fat white man, because that's just an image I think people have in their head. And I mean, it's not always like that, but I would say at least for 80% of the time, that's unfortunately what happens. The assumption is mm-hmm.
0: the man is in charge and the white man is in charge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times these days, that's actually not the case. That's not the case. We are running stuff in the kitchen these yeah. days and i'm always like
1: how do they think that because who do they think taught these men how to cook
0: <laughs> their mom <laughs> mom
1: grandma auntie right well i think it's changing a lot now so that's not that obvious anymore you know we we do adapt, that but i mean 10 years ago i'm sorry it wasn't like that at least not what i experienced i mean everybody's experience is different but i did not experience that i was running kitchens and it would always go to the white person and you know people say "Whoa, maybe don't look at the part yes i am i was just explaining this guy how to do things so i wasn't standing around like the other guy that just brought out the trash you know what i mean right so, and i be sometimes i'd be like who's asking for chef you know and they're like Oh, chef is not here and then they will come back the next day it's like is Chefy? yeah i'm chef what would you like and they'd be like okay i saw
0: you yesterday yeah i saw you tell me you were the chef (laughs) yes so (laughs) that's wild so i think that i would come and call that sexism does run rampant within our what what is this called field in our field
1: well yeah it used to but i think now it's better it does get better what about when you have men working under you
0: do they listen to you
1: yeah, they do. I make them line up. Are they afraid? <laughs> Maybe. Are you scared? I of? mean, I know when I have catering events and I'm coming later because I had to do other things and they see my car pull up. They're like, oh, chef's coming, chef's coming. And everybody's like, you know, but yeah, it's different now, I think.
0: What are your thoughts on the the wage gap?
1: The wage gap? You mean in private chefing or in regular chefing? Just in general. Well, right now, I think... Do you think that it's still an issue? Um. Well, right now, nobody's going to come work on the line for $16 an hour anymore, right? So <clears throat> when I first started working the line, I made 7 25 back in the days. And when I got a raise and promoted to sous chef, I made 12 75 And I'm like, oh my God, twelve seventy-five! If you would give a line cook now $12.75 to be looking at you like, Chef, you're crazy you know like right now the the wages are out of control like it's really hard for me to find chefs to do private gigs and pay them under 20 dollars it's not possible yeah you know back in the days that would be like everybody would be like me 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 but now it's very hard like they want I'll 30 40 50, 50 60 staff. dollars yeah me too always. i always overpay myself i was you thinking- can they get a day rate and they get a day rate they get a day rate oh that's good
0: yeah my, well, my other chef friends that run catering companies are like "Yeah, good luck with that because i have bigger teams and i'm not doing it that way so i usually pay like my um assistants either 350 to 450 for the day okay flat and sometimes 550 if we have to travel so like out
1: the oh, country it's high Yeah, I pay my chefs like between 30 and $45. And then the one in charge is probably 60 to 65. It all depends on what client, what the budget is. But yeah, at least $30 per chef per hour. Okay. And at least, they have at least 10 hours. So, and it's that, and my clients always are really generous in giving tips. So they walk around with at least $100, $200 tip on top of whatever they got. So they know that. So they're happy to do that. So, but you know, everybody's different.
0: Okay, that's Mm -hmm. cool. Now that we've went through all of this stuff, what would you say your recipe for success was? If you could tell somebody just
1: getting into the industry or your younger self, what are the top three things to know? The top three things to know is you have to stay true to yourself, right? You have to know your boundaries, And you have to know what you want to do and what you don't want to do. What you're willing to sacrifice and what you're not willing to sacrifice. And after that, it's just repetition, repetition, repetition. So those are the top three things. That's the top three things. And that's Uh, what you would tell your younger self too? I would tell my younger self, like, stay in your lane. You are the help.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. So um, on to the dessert. Um... Tell us about the 2023 World Food Championship. What's that about? Where is it? What are you doing to prepare? What did you do to prepare? Has that happened?
1: Um Oh yeah, um, the World Food Championship was um it's a food sports, right? I thought it was really serious. So we rolled up there in our chef coats, speed rack and everything, but finding out that it's really just home chefs, like home cooks. (laughs) So they looked at us like, huh? Like, why are you so (laughs) serious? Why are you so serious? And we like, and they're like, you know, so I mean, it was fun. It was not, it was not at all what we expected, (laughs) what we thought it would be. So it was a good experience. (laughs) I wouldn't call it World Food Championship, even though that's the name, but that's not what it is. In my opinion, I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) Well, the truth is the truth. And we love that on this side.
0: Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I always love to ask chefs, what are you usually listening to in the kitchen when you're cooking? (laughs)
1: i'm listening to french music okay that's (laughs) fair in my ear because people don't want to hear it but if everybody else want to hear we always listen the same what is it adele bruno mars you know that's kind of sort of things
0: okay and then after a long day of cooking what's your go-to meal (laughs)
1: Of the long day of cooking. Chefs always eat the craziest, (laughs) random, most random thing. So I always want to ask y'all. Probably a sandwich or a bowl of cereal.
0: (laughs) Wait do. I always (laughs) say I'm a sandwich cereal girl. Okay? At the end of the day or some damn cheese and crackers. Okay? Because I do not want to Whatever is in the
1: fridge which is empty.
0: (laughs) Well... I feel like we we covered all of the bases and I appreciate you giving me your time today.
1: Um, but before we leave out, where can we find you? Um, you can find me on the Chef Claudia D on Instagram. OK. And on ChefClaudiaD.com.
0: ChefClaudiaD.com. Mm-hmm. And is that where they can try to book
1: services if if you can afford it? Uh, <laughs> for <laughs> for Green Lab Kitchen, yeah, for caterings and stuff, we can go through Green Lab Kitchen. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna be there, but definitely somebody of my staff will be showing up.
0: Okay, staff. Okay, <laughs> and and is there anything that's gonna be coming up that we should be keeping our eye out for? Because I know you were into TV.
1: Do you have aspirations of getting into TV again? I don't really want to go into TV again. Um, I did the show. Um, that's coming out soon i can't talk about what show but it will come sometimes in june so beyond that
0: you don't want to touch tv no more
1: unless it's the right setting i would i only did this show because of the chef that was on the show okay and i want to just see how how it goes how is an american set how they're filming how the production goes i just want to see that because you know coming from tv from a tiny country into america was like wow so i just wanted to see how that works and it was amazing
0: okay chefies that's that's my time chef jordan's your time we wrapping it up with chef claudia d and i know she said you ain't really gonna be seeing her on tv but something tells me <laughs> she gonna be on tv <laughs> thank you
1: you're welcome bye